Thank you for joining me for this teaching from Pennington AG Church. It is the start of another new year in 2022, and we are using this occasion to also reflect back on the last year, but mainly to look forward to what God wants to do in our lives and what we value as a church at Pennington AG Church. Last week, we talked about our mission, and our mission is to lead people to Jesus. I teased out four ways we do that and cultural values of our church, and we are now going to teach through those in detail. Today, we're gonna to talk about what it means that one of our values is to teach beautiful Jesus, to teach the beauty of our God as most revealed in Christ Jesus. What does that mean and how do we do it? I wanna begin by addressing the emotional, cultural context of where we are. We are, by all accounts, living through some of the angriest and most anxiety-inducing times, not just in American history, but in human history. Living today, we have a lot of things that are fantastic, medical care, technology, indoor plumbing, but we also live in an era where we are continually separated from each other, we are reminded over and over again of tragedy and hurt and loss in the world by constant access to media, and it has created a culture where we have a regular level of anxiety, irrational fear, and anger towards one another. In 2019, three years ago, NPR published an article that we were angrier at the time than we were a generation ago. The Washington Post put out in the last few months an article that Americans are living in an anger incubator, that we are living in pandemic era, social media era, a time where anger is facilitated, encouraged, it grows quickly. All of our social media apps that we use incentivize us to post angrier, and more outlandish posts. They reward us for our anger and emotionalism that we present. The US News in 2019 published that the world recorded record levels of anger and sadness. That's the year before a global pandemic, a year before massive racial unrest in the United States and Western culture. The access we have to information leads us to these positions. And in many ways, this is generally good. It is good to be able to see injustice around the world and that we're angry about that. We should be. We should be angry when men and women are taken advantage of or not given access to resources and are hurt unfairly. It also leads to sadness about things we should be sad about. When others are suffering, don't have access to health care, water, food, education, that should bring sadness into our hearts. That should move us, like Jesus is moved by compassion, should move us to respond out of love. But we as image bearers of God are not built to sustain this level of anger and anxiety, and it takes its toll on us. You would think in a time of anxiety and anger, the people would then turn to the church and that the church could be an agent of healing and love and mercy. But honestly, the last few years, fair or not, it has not seemed to be the case. 
whether it's how we see it on social media, on Twitter, and even in podcasts, whether it's listening to what happened in Mars Hill and that podcast, or whether seeing how Christians treat each other with Beth Moore and with Russell Moore, or even how people have treated Tim Keller in the last few years on social media. It's unfortunate that the anxiety and anger have also taken up home inside of the church. What do we do? How do we heal? How do we respond to that anxiety and anger? This is where, as a church this year, I am driving us to commit to teaching, counseling, outreaching around the beauty of Christ Jesus. The gentleness, love, and mercy that we see in the character of our God as revealed by Jesus Christ. How do we do this and what does this look like this year? How do we bring a loving, merciful God into the conversation of anger and anxiety that we find ourselves in? What does that look like? First thing is understanding the book that we teach from most often, regularly root ourselves in by our tradition, the Bible itself, to see it not as a system of rules and laws or ins and outs, black and white lines, but to see it as we as a church have taught so many times that the Bible is a unified story, both human and divine, that leads to Jesus. To see the book that we use and teach from and study and disciple around as a book that points to the beauty of Christ Jesus. The author of Hebrews lays it out like this. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the first two verses of the letter of this pastor to this church in the first century go like this. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his Son. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son, he created the universe. The author of Hebrews is writing to an early church that is mostly made up of people of the Jewish faith, who then became Christians, followers of Jesus. And under intense persecution, they are asking the question, is this still worth it? Can I just get rid of the Jesus part of my faith and go back to being Jewish and I'll be fine? Can I do that? And what he says to them is, absolutely not. There is nothing like Jesus. You can't go back after experiencing his love, grace, and mercy, who he is and what he has revealed about our God. And it speaks to us today in our distraction, in our own emotions and anger, that there is nothing like Christ Jesus. And there is no understanding of God better than or more richly beautiful than the one that's revealed in the story, the life, and the living presence of Jesus Christ. I read the Bible Christocentrically. That means Jesus is at the center. When we read Genesis and we read Revelation and everything in between, it is a unified story that tells us about Jesus, that points to Jesus, that is revealed in Jesus. We discover the character of God most perfectly in Jesus. We see as we read the Bible that God's plan was to reveal humanity's need for a Savior. And this means he has to enter our world through the family of Abraham, 
in the nation of Moses and through the kingdom of David, Jesus enters our world. We see in the Old Testament God's righteous judgment and his gracious mercy taught to us by the prophets. God is angry at your sin and he is righteous and pure, so there will be coming judgment. But he is gracious and merciful, so there will be one day an opportunity to be restored and healed. They point us to Jesus. And then we see the four gospel accounts of Jesus' life as the climax center story of the Bible. We then see from Acts to Jude as Jesus' story is then moved forward, lived out by his church, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then we conclude in the book of Revelation with the return of Christ Jesus to remake all things new and glorified by his resurrection power. When we see the entire Bible as a story leading to Jesus or produced by Jesus or in the four gospel accounts centered on Jesus, we see his beauty and the need for his gentleness on every page. It's a beautiful story in the gospel accounts, in Luke specifically, in Luke chapter 24, about seeing scripture as a story about Jesus in the road to Emmaus. In this story, Jesus has already resurrected and his disciples are still scrambling to figure out what this all means, how to understand the Old Testament that they grew up with and memorized in the light of what Jesus has taught them and now with the knowledge that Jesus is resurrected. How do they put this together? What does this mean? While they're walking and still sad about Jesus' death and trying to figure this out, Jesus comes alongside of them. They don't recognize that it's Jesus because he's resurrected and for some reason, God's not revealing it to them. But they're talking to him and Jesus is sort of goading them and pulling information out of them. And at one point it says, Jesus then begins to teach them about how all of the Old Testament pointed to him. And it says, beautiful phrase in Luke 24, that their hearts burned within them as Jesus taught them about the Christocentric, the Christ-centered view of all of Scripture. That Scripture became alive in them, their hearts became impassioned, that God was doing a great work centered in Jesus, that he was revealing his love and grace all throughout the Old Testament that culminated in the resurrection of Jesus. The Bible comes to life when we center it in the person and the resurrection of Jesus. When we read Genesis with the knowledge of Jesus coming, and we see the story of men and women tricking each other and lying, deceiving, getting over on each other, and we see the pain as resulting in that, and then Genesis 50:20 says, what man has meant for evil, God has used for good. And we know about the cross of Jesus Christ. We see the beauty in realizing what man meant for evil in taking a life. Jesus used it for good in order to conquer sin and death itself. When we read the stories of Israel coming out of Egypt and God's presence being with them and his character being revealed, and we know that this will lead to Christ Jesus, we see the beauty in God's character being revealed by setting people free. And at the center of this, the point of reading scripture 
is not about getting good at knowing the Bible, but about becoming a disciple of Jesus. And that reading Scripture and teaching Scripture and sitting under it each day is about being a disciple of Jesus. It's about discovering a person revealed through their words. And as we read the words recorded by those God has spoken through and have been written down, we are discovering God's character. And as John 1.1 says, that word of God, his revealing, speaking to us, then put on flesh and lived among us and is still being revealed to us today. John 1, verse 1. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God, and God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and this life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. So the Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. But in order to reveal that in Christ Jesus, God's creative power, his knowledge and his speaking into his people is revealed most clearly in Jesus. The word here, word, logos in Greek, is not about the Bible itself or about teaching, but about Jesus Christ, who through whom God created this world, God redeemed this world, and God is still speaking to lead and save and transform this world. The story of Scripture is centered in Christ Jesus. And as a church, we commit that we teach Scripture with Christ at the center. That in kids' church, we don't just teach moral lessons of be like these people, but don't make the mistakes they make. We show them as flawed humans trying to live on their own power in desperate need of a Savior that we find in Christ Jesus. As we read the Psalms and the loving language and beauty of them, we see them as hymns pointing forward to the beauty that's revealed in Christ Jesus. We teach that scriptures are a unified story human and divine, that lead to Jesus. Because we are formed by stories, we are shaped by, formed by, and guided by the stories we live in. Today, we live in these weird little 15-second stories, and we live in thousands of them throughout the week. Whether it's on TikTok or Reels, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, wherever you are consuming this, we are living in tiny story after tiny story after tiny story. And we are being formed by them. Jesus spent eight hours a day with his 12 closest disciples for about three years. Three years times eight hours a day brings it to about 8,000 hours. Jesus spent 8,000 hours with his closest disciples, sharing his story, living life together. And if you followed that TED Talk, you know he's 2,000 hours short of being an expert in Jesus. But 8,000 hours, we then see in the rest of the story, there are huge gaps in the character of the disciples. 
and their knowledge of Jesus and how they are living out his call. They spent 8,000 hours in Jesus' presence over three years, and they still are fallen and struggling and weak. And we today spend about an hour a week together on a Sunday morning, maybe 5, 10, 15 minutes a day in our own scripture reading, and we expect that to transform us, change us, and heal us. And frankly, it's just not enough. It's not enough time in Jesus' presence. It's not enough time to know who he is and to discover his beauty and to invite it into our lives. This is why 20th century theologians like Dallas Willard and Eugene Peterson popularized the term of abiding again, abiding in Jesus' presence, sitting with him and knowing him. And abiding isn't just an old school term or a mystical idea of just sitting quietly, although that is a part. Abiding is about being in Jesus' presence. And that can be in our study of scripture, in reading books written by those who know more about Jesus and have spent more time in his presence than we have. It can be about being in a small group, discussing what Jesus is doing among us and spurring each other on. It can be coming together in a worship night, a prayer night, singing songs and praying out loud together about Jesus and towards Jesus and for his glory. Because God is most fully known when we spend time in the presence of Jesus. God is most fully known by Jesus. Abiding in Jesus, the New Testament says, is about being in Jesus. We use in the modern church phrases like, Jesus lives in me or Jesus is in my heart. But the New Testament authors dominantly use the language that we are in Jesus. They use the phrase in Christ. We are in Christ, hidden in him, living in him, reborn in him. Paul uses it all the time in his letters to early churches. In Galatians 3.26, in Christ. In Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, in Christ. In Romans 8.1, in Christ. Peter even uses it in 1 Peter 5.14, in Christ. That we spend time in, we lean into Jesus and find ourselves made new in him and with him and by him. And that we do nothing outside of his loving power and presence and covering. Being in Christ means to be covered by his sacrificial blood shed on the cross. And practically, it means that we have confessed our need for Jesus' saving grace and power and that we have committed our lives to sit under his teaching and under his authority of Lord of heaven and earth. John 17, verses 1 and 5, Jesus speaking about himself encourages us to this end. He's actually praying to the Father, but he has a lot for us in here. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. 
I shared this briefly last week as laying out the vision of leading people to Jesus, but quickly we'll remind ourselves when we talk about focusing on the beautiful Jesus, we are discovering the full complexity of the God we know as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit by Christ Jesus. John 14, 6, and 7, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. We come to the righteousness of the Father by the power of Jesus Christ, by being covered by his righteousness. And John 16, 6 says, But in fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And it is by Jesus that he sends his Spirit. Jesus has given us his Spirit so that we remain in contact with him, so we remain connected with him. The Holy Spirit reminds us of who God is, and is God's power working through us and in his church. It is by Jesus, it is for Jesus, it is with Jesus, and it is in Jesus that we know the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as I said last week, because I love this quote by Augustine, the Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father, and the Holy Spirit is the activity of that love. To us then, the Christian journey begins with Jesus. And out of our reverence to the Father, we are saved by Christ Jesus. And out of Jesus' generosity and power, he gives us the Holy Spirit. We teach the beautiful Jesus so that we are inviting the character of Jesus to transform us, to make us new, to make us in his image. We're going to finish by looking at two stories as recorded in the gospel. One about speaking about Jesus, sharing about him, telling others about him, and another about our life now being transformed by being in the presence of Jesus. First, let's look at Mark chapter 7, verses 36 and 37. Mark records the story like this. Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone, but the more he told them not to, the more they spread the news. They were completely amazed and said again and again, everything he does is wonderful. He even makes the deaf to hear and gives speech to those who cannot speak. There is a trend in the early portion of Mark's gospel account of Jesus' life called the Messianic Secret, where Jesus is telling people, just don't tell anyone about it. But there's also a trend in it where he tells them that and they go and tell people anyway. They go, Jesus, I know you don't want me to do this, but I can't help it. You are so wonderful. Your beauty, so overwhelming. Your grace and your mercy, so wonderful that I have to tell others about you. I can't help but share about the beauty of who you are. They experienced God on earth in Christ Jesus, and they were understandably amazed. Jesus had this tendency of either amazing or enraging. It's very rarely a middle ground approach. You're either enraged as Jesus calls out your sin and your pride, or you are amazed as he heals you of your brokenness. And we see those healed by Jesus can't help but talk about, teach about, declare the goodness of who he is. They evangelize in almost a psalm, hymn, worship manner. 
Everything he does is wonderful. He even makes the deaf to hear and gives speech to those who cannot speak. The more we discover of Jesus' beauty and grace and power, the more we can't help but share and talk about Jesus. We don't need a specific Bible tract to show somebody a chasm of our sin and a cross that lays down over it. We don't need to scare anybody or guilt them, coerce them, trick them into coming into church. We, as the church, need to center ourselves, focus ourselves, teach one another the beauty and goodness of our God in Christ Jesus. Allow him to transform us so that it overflows into the world around us. And then naturally share with others what God's doing in our lives. Share with others the beauty of Jesus, who he is and what he's doing. Next, let's look at Luke chapter 19, verses 8 through 10. So we see Jesus naturally calls us to want to talk about, share about who he is. Let's see about that call to transform our lives. A man named Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor. Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Not only should spending time in the presence of beautiful Jesus overflow out of us, but it should transform our decision-making, our life, and our actions. We see it transform Zacchaeus, a tax collector. He had lived his life under the rule of the kingdom of the earth. How? We just treat one another. The rules of Darwinian human interaction. The strong survive. And I'm out to defend myself. And so I'll do whatever I can, lie, cheat, steal, in order to protect myself, in order to enjoy my life more. My life is just my own and I will protect it at the expense of the community around me. But one encounter with Jesus and he begins to be transformed in the making of Jesus' kingdom. We see Jesus teach about in Matthew 5. And that now Zacchaeus sees himself as part of the community. He sees loving others as equal to loving himself. And he begins to give generously. He begins to confess his sin towards humans and before God. And seek restitution by loving them, giving to them, and generously sacrificing of his life. To encounter the beautiful Jesus is to be transformed and made in his image. Teaching one another about God in Christ Jesus is like revealing the most powerful but gentle mirror there is. That as we point each other to the goodness of Jesus, it reveals our own brokenness and need of his love and mercy. And that as we walk through life side by side, and as we teach each other beautiful Jesus, we discover our own anger, we discover our own fears, and we bring them into the presence of Jesus. And we are transformed into his image. Our vision for this year is to center everything we do around the beauty of God revealed in Christ Jesus as we teach, as we counsel, and as we interact with the world outside of the church, our focus is on the gentle, loving nature 
of our righteous King in Christ Jesus. Will you join me in prayer in this moment? If you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you can't say confidently that you know him, I want to give you an awesome opportunity to dive in right now, to take one step forward and to say yes to a relationship with Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, I encourage you to recommit in this moment, recenter into the presence of our beautiful God revealed in Christ Jesus. If you'll pray with me. Jesus, in this moment, I want to know your character. I want to experience your presence. I want to be transformed by you. Jesus, I believe that you were and are God and that you lived as a human, man and God in one flesh. And you taught lovingly. You taught of your kingdom. And then out of your righteousness, you took on my sin and shame on the cross. And you died in my place for my sins. You were buried in the ground, and on the third day, you rose from the grave, resurrected, glorified, conquering death, and that by your power and under your lordship, I can be forgiven and live forever in your presence. You gave your life for me. In this moment, I commit my life to follow you. In the name of Jesus, amen. I encourage you to join us in the journey of 2022. As wild as it may be, the future is yet to be seen, but we are going to be centering it in teaching and focusing on the beauty of Christ Jesus.